Ghost Watch, episode 15. Rob here. On this episode, the famous Ashley Grant joins us to talk about 2001's Bandits, starring Bruce Willis, Billy Bob Norton, and Kate Blanchett. As always, you can find more episodes of the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Good Pods, and other podcatchers, as well as CrookedTable.com. Go ahead and give us a rating and review wherever you're listening to this. Uh, for now, let's listen to a little bit of the trailer and then jump into our conversation about 2001's Bandits. Bingo. Bingo what? Are you going to knock over a bank with a magic marker? What are you going to do? Ride on them? Don't move. Take out your gun. Saw and middle finger on the butt. Good evening, everybody. Tonight, we have an incredible story. It's a story of Joe Blake and Terry Collins, the most successful bank robbers in the history of the United States. I got to be honest with you. It's not that difficult. You walk in, you ask for the money, you walk out. You got the gun? No. I think there's a way to do it right. No guards, no tellers, no customers. We do it with the bank manager in the morning because we kidnapped him the night before. Hey, I help you? Oh, I'm sorry. We're here to rob your bank. The hostages were kept under the strictest possible guard. Want to see something cool that I can do? Sure. Monica, what? We've got guests. Sort You never know what's going to happen during a robbery. There's always sure. a surprise of some kind. What the hell did you bring her out here for? Well, one, I may have suffered a slight concussion. Oh, oh my God! Two, I've had no choice. You pull over and get out of the car! No! Well, why not? I'm feeling very fragile at the moment. I don't think I should be alone. But three, she's mentally unbalanced to a spectacular degree. I can hear you. You're not the guys who, who go to the bank manager's house, you know, the night before. They, they do. I drive the getaway car. You're the sleepover pandas. Welcome to Close Watch, the show where we get to know our guests through the movies they love. On this episode, I'm welcoming a famous guest, a very famous guest, the famous Ashley Grant for her first appearance on this show. And I think we were talking before, this is your fourth time on a Crooked Table production, right? Fourth? I thought it was like the fifth or the seventh. <laughs> <laughs> the fifth or the seventh or the sixteenth, who can keep track? Because I searched the archives, I was preparing for this. We've talked about Confidence and Fight Club, and we did an April Fool's episode on uh, the Dearly Departed Crooked Table podcast that this feed is now evolved out of. So one more episode after this and you get your SNL-style five-timers jacket, I guess. Oh, I can't wait. I'm, I'm ready for the jacket. <laughs> so this episode, we're going to be talking about 2001's Bandits from director Barry Levinson. But before we get into that, Ashley, tell people a little bit about who you are and everything you have going on, uh, writing, podcasting. You're all over the place. That is definitely a fact. I am all over the place. Um, well, I am known on the interwebs as famous Ashley Grant. And uh, basically, I am a freelancer, freelance content creator. I write, I podcast, I do the things. I, I create content. That's what I do. How do you feel about the term content? Because I know some people are like, oh, don't put all, all of this in one big basket. Is, content is so impersonal. But then it's also like, how do you just what how else what other word describes it when you're doing multiple forms of media? What are your what are your thoughts on that? For me, I feel like saying it's just content is freeing. Like it's it's it, it's liberating the fact that I don't have to put myself in a box because, you know, no one puts me in a corner. Right. No one puts Ashley in a niche. <laughs> there you go. No, I, I, I agree. It's like, I wish there was a better, like, I don't love necessarily the word content because it feels so sort of dry and people, you know, like us put a lot of time and effort and care into the things we write and the things we podcast and the things, you know, the videos or social media posts or whatever we create. But it's also like, I, I don't have another better word. Come up with a better word and then we'll talk, content haters. Amen. I mean, because, you know, I'm doing more than just writing articles, it's content. I'm creating content. I do graphics. I do podcasting. I do Instagram. I do all the things. So to say that I'm just one thing, that's limiting. Yeah, we're multi-hyphenates is what we are. Multi-passionate entrepreneurs is what there Marie Corleo calls it. I love it. So um, as far as this movie is concerned, we had, we talked last I, I guess, it, I don't know if it, this came up on April Fool's episode or the Fight Club episode. One of those, you mentioned the movie Bandits. You mentioned, I think, Seven and a couple other ones. Uh, but this one I, I kind of latched onto because I was like, well, we just did a Fincher with Fight Club. 
And secondly, I had never seen this movie before. What is your history with the film Bandits and why was it something you uh, suggested we talk about? I think at the time, whenever I saw the trailer, I just was excited at it. I, I thought it was a neat idea because, um, you know, back when I was watching the confidence game and, and, and the, the, the fight club stuff, I was really amused at the, I guess, the criminal lifestyle. Um, that's the best way I can put it. And I was working for a, um, a movie rental place and they had it on the shelf for like $2. And with my employee discount, I think I got it for $1.50. And I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to buy it. And so I did and I watched it and I loved it. And I watched it way too many times and just kind of fell in love with the idea of the story. Yeah, that's, that's something I definitely want to get into. You definitely have an attraction for rule breakers and I guess criminals, all three of those movies that we've talked about, including this one, are all like, what is it about that? Is it just the living vicariously through these people that break the rules? I, Because I, if that's the case, as a, as a sort of mostly rule follower, I was conservative raised and all that stuff, I, I understand the appeal. I think it definitely is that because, you know, growing up, I, I was raised in a Southern Baptist Christian household. I wasn't even allowed to watch movies like Fight Club. God, if, if my mom had seen that, it would have been a very interesting conversation. <laughs> very transgressive. Yeah, very, very not good. Uh, but, uh, you know, so I was my nickname in middle school was Bible Thumper. I I mean, I, they would literally call me Thumper as I was walking down the hall. Um and so I was very much a, a rule follower. And I don't think I've ever really been a rule breaker, like unless you count the fact that I was supposed to be a high school social studies teacher and now I'm a content creator. But other than that, I, uh, I, I've sort of just, like you said, living vicariously through these crazy characters, getting in these insane situations, um, doing stuff that it's like you, you can't help but root for the bad guy. Yeah, no, I, and it's the same thing, the, the same appeal of, of like the Oceans movies or and any of these kind of uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, this sort of, yeah, the outlaws on the run kind of thing, which is very much where the where this movie lays. Uh, for people that are not familiar with this movie, this film, as I said, directed by Barry Levinson, stars Bruce Willis, Billy Bob Thornton, and Kate Blanchett. Uh, Willis and Thornton are bank robbers, I guess the world's, like the country's most famous bank robbers. And their whole shtick is that they're the sleepover bandits. So they go and they kidnap the bank manager uh, the night before and then hang out at, at, at the bank manager's house. And then the morning, just walk in and get the money. Uh, what, what, are you, what, what is it about that angle? Because I feel like that already, that premise is intriguing. And like I said, going into this, I only thing I remembered about the trailer was Kate Blanchett and how like striking she was in the trailer. Uh, but I, I, I really love the the premise of these guys are very accomplished criminals, but also for the most part, very nonviolent as they get into in the movie. Uh, well, first of all, I disagree. Um, in my opinion, Bruce Willis's character is very violent, but he is definitely on a leash because of Billy Bob Thornton's character. Um, they, they, and there's a lot of spoilers in this. So if you haven't seen the movie, just turn it off, go watch it, then come back and hear what we have to say. But, um, you know, Bruce Willis is playing Joe Blake and you see his violence. You see his temper almost in the very beginning of the film because it opens with him in a boxing ring um, fighting with one of the other That's inmates in a, in, a, in a prison. And you can see how angry he can get. You can see the, the, the limits he would or the limits that he would exceed if it wasn't for Billy Bob Thornton's character, uh, he's playing Terry Collins. And he even says, you know, Bruce is playing Joe Blake and, and you see Terry saying, you know, Joe, calm down, you know, don't, like don't kill the guy. Right. You can definitely see that if it wasn't for Terry, Joe would totally kill the guy. <laughs> I guess when I, I guess when I said nonviolent, I'm, I was specifically referring sort of to their, their tactics in robbing the bank. They don't go in and like shoot up. Uh, you know, shoot it up and or like kill anybody really, it's, except yeah. for the the incident that you kind of that is teased at the beginning of the movie. And that's the other thing. I love the the framing device here, where it's it's essentially all told pretty much in flashback and the mystery surrounding that that kind of fateful incident at that at that one bank at the end of the film. 
Absolutely. And I definitely agree with you that that Kate Blanchett is so striking in this film because I mean, I've seen her in a lot of movies, but she just has this aura about her. She's playing this fiery redhead with these gorgeous blue eyes. And I mean, she's freaking hot in this film. Yeah. I mean, just absolutely gorgeous. And it's no wonder that our two bad guys end up both falling in love with her. <laughs> no, I, I had a whole section in my notes that I just called Kate's Corner. Um, <laughs> because this, like you said, I, I literally have in my notes, this whole thing falls apart if the lead actress doesn't make an impact. Like, she is the fulcrum upon which this entire story stands. In fact, I feel like there's an argument for which of these three is the main character. I feel like it depends on how you're viewing the movie. I could, you could easily say that Terry is, or Kate, or Joe. I mean, what is your criteria for a protagonist? It's kind of a, a true three-hander in that way. Uh, and was this your introduction to Kate Blanchett? Because... I, I, someone on Twitter, uh, the lady Juan, who's been on this past and future guest of Crooked Table Productions, yeah. she said this was her first time she had seen her in anything. I think I didn't see her until Lord of the Rings uh, a few months later. But the trailer of this, I was just like, whoa, who is this? And what is that about? And I just never got to the movie. I think that it was the first time I saw her in something where I knew who she was. I mean, I, I right. probably saw her like as a, either as a background character or something, but I, this was like the first time I saw her in such a like a place like she had a, a, a major stake in the in in the role that she played and uh i mean i've seen her in other things like i love her in you know the thor movies because you know she's such a badass in them and i've never really seen lord of the rings i apologize please don't <laughs> me. uh i tried i tried to watch them but it, it just, they're long yeah, they're long. You you gotta be in you gotta be in the right mindset to sit there for three hours and just well, hang no, out. No, it's not even it. it's not even a three hour issue. It's there was a scene that happened, and when I saw it, I was out. I was out. <laughs> well, now I need now I have more questions. What was yes. the scene that happened? <laughs> I think it was a scene where like there were dead people in the water. That's all I can recall. Oh, yeah. and I was out. <laughs> That's all I remember <laughs> is I was I was done. But uh, but yeah, this this film with her in it just. I felt like she just no one else that can come to mind could have handled this role the way she did. She just she freaking nailed it. I think this is also one of her first, you know, like big blockbuster like and this movie was not a financial success. It cost like 75 million and it made 41 domestic and 67 worldwide. So it did not do very well commercially. But it, it, it feels very much like a commercial movie. This is the director of things like Rain Man and, you know, big hit films. I think Good Morning in Vietnam might be his as well. And this is kind of her foray, I think, into that kind of uh, major motion picture, as it were. Because she pr prior to this, she had done a lot of smaller films. She'd done a lot of Oscar bait. She was obviously nominated for Elizabeth a few years earlier. Uh, she was in Talented Mr. Ripley and things like that. But oh this is the God, first... she was. And... I hadn't seen that until recently either. And she's super striking in that. Like if I had seen that then, I would have been like, whoa, this oh person got a bright I, future. I completely forgot she was in Talented Mr. Ripley. I love that film too. Yeah. We'll have, we'll earmark that, that for another, stuff. we'll earmark that for a future episode, another Kate's Corner. Um, <laughs> uh, because she comes into this thing and she's so luminous. Like the first shot of her looking in the refrigerator, even with the blue light. And then, yeah dancing and, and sort of lip syncing to holding out for a hero. It's like, I, you know, us, the viewers are falling in love with her before she even meets the, the other two lead characters. And then we meet her husband and we want to stab him. <laughs> yeah. What a dick. Like not if that scene doesn't do it, the, the, uh, the, the scene on the television later on when he's like, Oh honey, come home. I miss you. The house misses you. No, he's he said like, the house misses you first. Yes, that's true. Yeah. The house misses and, you. And he's like, if the kidnappers want to reach me, I'll be in Spain. I'm like, are yeah, you kidding me? You know my people. You know my people. Yeah. Have yeah. your people call my people. I eh, will sort it out. I'm, I, I got to go kind yeah. of thing. I'm like, geez. Very one concerned. Of things, one of the things that drew me to this film so much, and it's it's really messed up to say it, but whatever. It is the way it is. Um, is that Terry Collins, Billy Bob Thornton's character, he's a hypochondriac in the right. film. Yeah. And I was cracking up because he listens to the Merck medical manual on tape. And the reason that made me laugh so hard. And if, if any of my family's listening to this, just just 
turn it off. Okay, just turn it off. My dad, he had the Merck manual and he would research like like we do today on, on WebMD, you know, where uh-huh. we self-diagnose ourselves. He was constantly reading that stupid book. And so I think that's one of the reasons I was cracking up so much, like watching Terry Collins, like talk about vaginitis, for God's sakes, and all these other crazy things. And it's like I could see my dad in the character and I I was amused by it. And I love the fact that even though he's a hypochondriac and he's so out there, he's um, he's also like the brains of the operation. He's yeah. the one that comes up with the idea of kidnapping the, the bank manager the night before. And he's the one that keeps everybody calm, but he's also the one that makes everything goes off the go off the rails. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's true. He uh, the that one scene where they uh, they rob the bank with the magic marker and they get the the guard's gun and then he drops the gun behind. What? <laughs> he's like, oh, I, I, I left the gun or he's like, you know, he's something like that happens. I love that. That's so funny. Um, but yeah, so I love I love that little tidbit about your dad, because that's it's the kind of thing that it's kind of the reason why I love having these conversations is because people connect to the smallest little things because it has, there's a personal connection there. There's a, there's like uh you know, there's, there's something personal, like something about every movie speaks to every person differently. And so I love that, that, that moment that I, I just saw, Oh, what a clip, what that's kind of a funny, awkward comedic beat. And then also a setup and payoff for later on when the vaginitis thing comes back, uh, <laughs> which, you know, they have creams for that. First of all, um, <laughs> um, I, that that you saw something, you know, that 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 kind of endeared you to the movie even more so. So I love that. Absolutely, and I, it's just it's so funny because like you wonder how these people who have such crazy lives can come together and pull off such epic bank robberies. <laughs> but it's that classic sort of duo criminal duo dynamic where I'm thinking of something like a personal favorite from dusk till dawn where you have the george clooney character who is the 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 one that's holding down uh his brother played by quentin tarantino who is the the, the like hothead the one that the, the ultra violent one and trying to like keep him wrapped up and he always has to clean up his messes uh it's kind of that that classic dynamic the other thing that that i speaking of other sort of crime not not from dusk till dawn is not a comedy but speaking of other crime comedies just like this one uh, I got a big Maverick vibe from this movie uh, in the Jodie Foster character who similarly steals that entire film uh, and sort of plays the other, the two male leads off of each other. Have you seen Maverick from 1994? Absolutely, I have. I absolutely have. And I absolutely loved it. Yeah, I got very similar sort of vibes in the way that Kate Blanchett's character elevates this movie. And it's, you know, it's worth mentioning, we mentioned both, Billy Bob Thornton and Kate Blanchett, they were both got, they both got like awards nominations. He won the National Board of Review Best Actor Award. They were both up for Golden Globes. She was up for a SAG Award. Nothing for Bruce Willis. I think that's because his character, as you said, he's more gruff. He's the, the violent one. He's the tough guy. He's uh, the, like the strong, silent type, so to speak. And I think that's because of that, his character comes across more muted, which begs the question, were you if if you were put in Kate's shoes, would you choose Terry or Joe? Because I think that's a good question. Because she makes an excellent point about together you're the perfect man. Yeah. Because they are so opposites. Yes. Uh, and, and and I want to get into that relationship in a minute. Um, I, I honestly think that that would be a very hard question to answer, but it would depend on the day. Yeah. <laughs> like it seems I, like that's how Kate feels. Yeah, because I mean, like in the moments where you want someone who's who's you know gonna go after what they want, and you know they're gonna they're gonna take charge, they're gonna you know be strong and and whatever you want, you know, your Joe Blake. But when you want someone warm and inviting and and cute as a beaver, as he says, you <laughs> yeah. want your Terry Collins. Yeah, okay, I've watched this movie way too many times. <laughs> What is the Bruce Willis says? Like, oh, some, some, the, someone good looking or itchy or something. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> Just pretty funny. It's a pretty good line. This me is like, or that guy. <laughs> yeah, me or that guy. This yeah. is, it, Bruce Willis was in that sort of zone, I think, in the early 2000s with this one. And then I think the whole nine yards was like the year before this. He was really kind of in a, in a comedy streak there for a while. For me, Bandits was like 
the second movie I saw where he actually had comedic chops. The, fir- the first one I saw him with comedic chops with de- was Death Becomes Her. Ooh, I, which might come up a little bit. Yeah, it will. But it, that, that's when I first like was like, oh, my God, this guy can actually be funny. But uh, but yeah, I, I just I think that he had such a humor about him. But it was like you said, it was muted. And I didn't even realize it till you said it. But it it was like he he could have he could have had a stronger role, I feel. But it mm-hmm. was I, I think that might have been why it wasn't one of my favorite movies he's ever done. But I was really just gravitating towards Billy Bob Thornton and, and Blanchett in this. I didn't know also going into this film that their relationship was essentially a thruple. Yes. By by the end of it, which I I had no idea that that and it feels for early 2000s, that feels kind of progressive because yes. nowadays, you know, those kinds of dynamics uh, are more, I wouldn't say even mainstream, but they're more recognized. Yes. You know, we live in a world where now sexuality is is more widely embraced as a spectrum as opposed to, oh, you're you're black or you're black or white, straight or gay, you know. Uh, I, I think that's that's an interesting depiction to have that again in a major Hollywood film with three, at the time, pretty big stars. Uh, like I said, Blanchett and Thornton were on their, well, Thornton already had an Oscar. I wouldn't say they're not quite to the level of where Bruce Willis was at the time, but they, you know, the Blanchett's now a two-time Oscar winner. All, all the buzz sounds like she's possibly heading for a third win uh, in in the season ahead. So, Having a, a something like that in a movie of this magnitude, I think, is kind of a big deal. And I'm I'm surprised that I haven't heard about that aspect of it sooner because it's it's a very sex positive depiction of that sort of relationship. Absolutely, and I think um, you know I I teased you a little bit um, on on Facebook Messenger that one of the things that there's a secret about the film that just absolutely cracks me up. And if you've purchased the DVD, you already know this, or if you've read the IMDb, there was actually an alternate ending that was filmed for this movie. And um, do you know about this? You already know this? After you, after you said there was something, I had the DVD, I got it out of my local library, and I was like, what is it? I bet it's an alternate ending. And I was like, oh, alternate ending. So I, yes. did, I did watch that. Yes. Yes. Okay. So can I, can I do the spoiler? Can I yes, say please. what it is? All right. So in the alternate ending, Kate Wheeler is holding Joe's and Terry's hands. And she's watching the wedding that happens, which is kind of funny because earlier in the film, Bruce Willis says that um, his character, Joe Blake, says, well, it ends with a wedding. And it's foreshadowing that there will be an ending of, a, of the movie with a wedding. And no, it's not them. It's not our thruple. But in the alternate ending, Kate Wheeler is pregnant. And so you're left there going, who's the dad? <laughs> yeah. And uh, what was funny was she did a commentary in the in the film. Uh, she did a commentary of the alternate ending. And at the time she was filming the commentary, she was pregnant. And she's <laughs> like, so I feel like it was almost an omen me saying, hey, Barry, we should we should film an alternate ending about her being pregnant. And then she goes and gets pregnant herself. I think I think the better question, the way the movie plays that relationship is not who's the daddy, but does it matter? I think that's that's the the key thing because the way that that thruple relationship is that is that a I guess I should ask this because I'm not familiar with it as much is that the appropriate term or is that like what is the what is the do you have any any insight on like how that works because I've only seen that in this film and then like Professor Marsden and the Wonder Woman things like that. Yeah, I've been married to the same man for 16 years. So I don't know. Maybe you. Very maybe good you, question. The internet. I don't know. You're online doing more <laughs> things. You. We just said about everything you're up to. Multi hyphenate content creator. Maybe you've stumbled across that. I don't know. Um, oh, I'll just go with thruple. I have no idea. <laughs> okay. Because I don't want to be insensitive to anyone listening who's like, "Hey, that's a derog- That's our word or something." I'm like, I don't know. Maybe it's like uh, sister wives. Only it's brother I, husbands. I don't know. <laughs> no idea. No idea. But but I love that that it's they they arrive at sort of a peaceful coexistence place where, you know, she kisses one, she kisses the other and they're not fighting over her. And and speaking of, you know, uh, gender dynamics and all that other stuff, the way that they're fighting over her and she's like, oh, yeah, do I do I get a vote like in this? Like what? What's going on? My tires first, she says. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I love that. I thought that was great. And I love how she she basically says, you know, she she sleeps with bank robber number one and then she sleeps with bank robber number two. And then she says, you know, the the heart is a mysterious organ 
it, it, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't play by any rules. It has its own rules. And so she says, you know, you guys are outlaws. I'm an outlaw too. And yeah, I love okay. that because it's, it's so speaks to what you just said about how it was so progressive for its time. And so, oh my goodness, is she really sleeping with both of them? Like, do they, do they do nights and weekends? Who gets custody? Right. Well, and then there's the, there's the uh, misdirect scene where she's like, say, you know, openings the door and says to, uh, to Terry, he's like, he's like, oh, you're not leaving? And like, no, I'm staying. And she kisses him. And she's like, good night. And closes the door. And then does the same thing with Joe, that it's like, hey, she's got full autonomy. She could choose bank robber number one, bank robber number two, or neither, or both, as it turns out. And I, I love that it's like, you know, in any political time where a woman's right to choose feels like it's constantly under attack, I love that this movie gives this the, its sole major female character such agency. Absolutely, because like I can do what I want. I, I can have the decision to, okay, I want gruff right now, but I want sweet next week. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, they so, together, they're the perfect man. It's true. It's true. And if you're apparently, into bank robbers. well, there is that. <laughs> well, what, apparently, Joe was someone considered for Joe, and I don't know how true this is, was Val Kilmer. And I don't, that would have I don't it. know if that could, yeah. I don't think, I don't know if that would have worked. Apparently, according to, I guess this is IMDb trivia, according to IMDb trivia, which, you know, grain of salt, mountain of salt, uh, Bruce Willis was supposed to play Terry. And Val Kilmer was going to play Joe. And I, and then after Val Kilmer backed out or schedule conflicts or whatever, uh, Bruce Willis took Joe. And now it's like, I don't know how, I don't, Bruce Willis, oh, Bruce Willis can play a sort of more uh, sensitive sort of beta male, for lack of a better term, in Death Becomes Her, like you mentioned. So I guess he could have pulled it off, but it's, it feels like it leans so much more into his, his, on-screen persona to have him basically be like kind of the John McClane-esque, uh, you know, anti-hero. Yeah, I, I don't think I, I don't think I could have watched it with him as Terry, first of all. Like, yeah. and I mean, I do love Val Kilmer as an actor, but I think that throwing him into the mix would have just completely ruined it. And I don't think he would have had nearly the level of chemistry that, that Bruce and Billy Bob had with Kate Bunchett. I, right. I, I don't see it. I don't, I can't see it. <laughs> it's also, I think, may have helped the chemistry between the three of them that Billy Bob Thornton had worked with Bruce Willis in Armageddon and had worked with Kate Blanchett in Pushing Tin like the year before this or a couple years before this. So I, there's, you know, they there was some, they had crossed each other's paths in the, before, I think. And maybe that's part of why this chemistry just feels so natural between the three of them. Yeah, it does actually feel really natural. It really does. And I, it's just, you, you just... You can't stop watching. <laughs> well, at least um, I couldn't. Did the we mentioned the framing device already with the the you know them kind of telling their story to the TV host and all of that. When you first saw this, how did you think that was going to play out? Were you were you immediately like, no way, they're dead? Like, there's going to be some Ocean's Eleven esque like reveal happening at some point because. As soon as we got there later on, before the reveal of uh, Harvey in the in the van, I, I had a, a feeling like, oh, wait a minute. They had they did the whole setup about the squibs early in the film. Yeah. Uh, when you saw this the first time, were you were you what was your mindset going into that that sort of final set piece? I, w I was convinced that there was no way that they were dead, uh, especially yeah. since they were like talking about how they had the perfect plan and. They they call Kate while she's uh, or I'm sorry they don't call Kate they um they paged her <laughs> if, if that doesn't date the movie I don't know what does but they paged her and uh, she calls them and they they tell her that they have a brilliant plan that's going to take care of everyone and the way that they described it and then we immediately cut to the, the final scenes I knew there was no way in hell they were dead <laughs> yeah exactly it would have felt tonally off with this movie as well just because it it is essentially at its heart a, a more lighthearted film even though it's about bank robbers and stuff uh i think that that's that's part of it and i love that the, it also has a sort of again very has a, a, a that light touch to it but it has a little bit of that hey people love criminals these guys are famous it it kind of dips its toe slightly in some themes 
some of the heavier themes that movies like Natural Board Killers have delved into. Not nearly to that extent, because that's a very intense movie that I don't intend to watch again. Uh, but it but it still has that those elements of like, oh, they're famous. Now they show up at people's houses and they're like, oh, it's you guys. <laughs> no, one lady gets really excited. She's like, oh, I guess I'll you know, put a pot of coffee on or whatever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so and I love that. And then we'll give them the money. <laughs> yeah, I know. What was that about? I think it was just that she knew that no one was going to, you know, fire a shot. And so she's like, all right, you guys are famous. I'm not giving you the money. (laughs) Just because just because you've been polite and not hurt anybody does not mean I'm going to give you the money. Well, she also misjudged Joe because, as you said, like Joe wouldn't hurt her. But Joe probably without being on a leash would have. And to your point, he did. uh, He did steal that guy's car with the after the magic marker heist and like beat him up a little bit, too. So he, whenever, little. whenever Terry's around, he's just like, he, he goes off a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Or, or not around. Whenever Terry's when not, he's around, not around. When he's yeah, not around. Yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah. Um, and then the reveal that he's been essentially manipulating him, him the whole time with the, uh, what is it? Oh, the burning feathers thing. Burning about, feathers, yeah. yeah. About his Ugh. brother that does yeah, not exist. That made, <laughs> that made me mad. Obviously, as the sensitive content creating host of this podcast i related more to terry so i was like how dare you do terry like that he's a sweetheart you bully <laughs> yeah exactly you don't bruce deserve willis. kate bruce willis with your planet hollywood and you're at the time demi moore and you know <laughs> that's uh, yeah that's really funny uh let's see the the soundtrack i thought was great uh, yes. especially especially the use of one Bonnie Tyler. So tell me, the famous Ashley Grant, is Total Eclipse of the Heart the ultimate sappy chick chick song? I don't know, man. I mean, I don't know if it is or not. (laughs) I think I've always just been better about um, movies than music, if I'm being honest. So I can't speak to that. And besides, at the time, like, you know, back then, I was so embarrassing. I was listening to, you know, your Britney Spears, your, oh. your Christina Aguilera's, your Insyncs, and your Backstreet Boys. So yeah. I guess you could say at the time I wasn't uh, uh, seasoned enough in music to be able to answer that question. <laughs> yeah, we all were listening to those, uh, the boy bands back in the day. Even if you, even if you weren't a fan of it, it was, it was inescapable. Yeah. Uh, and that's true. This is coming out like right, like in the midst of TRL and everything. Yeah. Jeez. Oh my God. Crazy. Young people who are don't understand the reference. There used to be a show, a countdown on MTV in the afternoons, weekday afternoons called Total Request Live. And it was always either Backstreet Boys or NSYNC uh, in the number one spot, more or less. I think 98 Degrees was up in there every once in a while to the point that they had to, I think, retire the video after like 65 days or something. They were like, okay, that's enough. With bye 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 in the number one spot or whatever, we got to move on. Uh, yeah, they're taking over kids, the show. Oh, and here's the other thing, kids. MTV used to stand for music television. Oh, it was God. music videos. The internet and YouTube destroyed the need yeah. for music television. I think that's that's what happened. Yeah, just like uh, Netflix killed Blockbuster and all this other stuff. And so then they had who, to go. The video killed the radio star. And that's YouTube that's true. Killed, and YouTube killed MTV. <laughs> and streaming calls killed the uh, the video store. Yeah. So there you go. It's all cyclical. Yes. Um, so what's next? <laughs> I don't know. What's beyond streaming? They just implant things right in our brains, I guess. We're getting there. Well, I mean, we've um, already got Google Glasses. So <laughs> That's true. That's true. That's, God. Um, is there is there a, a particular character in this that you that you relate to or connect to or or a moment? Anything that really speaks to the famous Ashley Grant. I mean, at different points of the movie, I related to all the characters, honestly. I mean, I, I've had the moment where I wanted to be rough. I've had the moment where I've wanted to be super sweet and uh, smart and logical. I've had the moment of wanting to run away, uh, like Kate. <laughs> um, haven't we all? You know, we, yeah, we all exactly. want to escape our lives at some point for some reason um you know so and i've also had the the moment of wanting to be like our our getaway driver harvey you know being in hollywood as a stuntman (laughs) you know so and even 
the person he picks up, the hitchhiker. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've even January Jones, a, a pre-Mad Men January Jones. Absolutely. So, I mean, I, I think that that's part of what um, made me love the movie as a whole so much is that I could really tell those characters in some aspect, in some way, as it all unfolds. I feel like if I were so inclined, which I'm not, um, <laughs> there's, there's, there's a, 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 an analysis of this movie that could probably be done where so-and-so, you know, Joe is the id and, uh, and Terry is the superego and, and, you know, kind of psychologically breaking down these three characters and why the three of them together make sense that as human beings, as individuals, we need all three of those aspects of ourselves to live in harmony and peacefully coexist in order to function in, in you know, day-to-day life. I think that's, uh, I just went way deeper in this movie than Barry Levinson did. I but. was going to say, bro, <laughs> you just went to a whole other level of like deepness that I was not anticipating. This is, I video. get that a lot. I honestly, that's something I, I hear semi-regularly on this show where people are just like, oh, I didn't know we were going there. And I was like, I, I don't know, it just came to me. In the moment. This is why I need film podcasts to express this stuff, Ashley, because this would just go. Otherwise, I would just tell my wife and she'd be like, that's cool. Can you can you get finished making dinner? And I'm like, yeah, sorry. Um, and that would be that would be the, the you know, the use of it. Instead, I use it to make content. You aren't going to run circle. away and find two like female robbers, are you? Not planning on it. I, if Kate Blanchett is involved. I may have to okay, rethink. Okay, maybe, yeah, yeah. Especially, <laughs> especially if she's got the red hair and, and those and the, bright blue yeah. eyes. And oh yeah. my god, Jeez. like I could go that way. Okay, right next. Um. So exactly. where were we? <laughs> I know it's you get lost in in those blue eyes, and she you know, sort of overtakes the movie in a way. Uh, I did want to note that apparently this movie, the story here, is based loosely based on two real life bank robbers. Terry Lee Connor and Joseph Doherty, uh, that there's certain elements of this, uh, of their tactics that is inspired by those real life men, which I thought was another interesting wrinkle that I didn't know about. I, I love that. And I also like that a lot of it was based in Oregon. A lot of it was filmed in Oregon, like the very first bank that they robbed mm-hmm. is the Oregon City Bank. Um, and I absolutely love whenever they do the all clear, when they change from, uh, uh, it's a $1 bill. And when they um, close yep. the blinds, uh, George Washington is facing the interior of the bank. Like, so freaking cool. And I love how stupid their disguises are. I mean, I just cracked up at that the whole time. Like, it just, it's just fun. It's like, for such a serious subject, they keep it so lighthearted and so fun. You can't help right. but giggle throughout the whole right. thing. And you also feel as like, as you're an audience member watching this film unfold, you feel like you're in on the joke the whole time. And it just, it just makes it so much more engaging and entertaining yeah and they and they don't lean so much into their uh you know their heists that it becomes weighed down by plot because it's this is so much this movie is so much more interested in the character relationships specifically the the dynamic between the three of them that than anything you know about you know their their crime spree or anything that they're up to or the charges they're facing or anything like it makes even though it's high stakes, it feels personal, and the stakes be feel the stakes feel like it's about these characters' lives rather than oh they you know they have they're this you know there's casual mention to they're in the top ten most wanted by the FBI and whatever organization and and but that's all that's kind of window dressing for these three characters and their interplay with each other. And what's really funny to me is that today in 2022, there's no way in hell that it could happen. Like, you know, yeah. Oh, yeah. Them, them robbing banks the way that they did. Um, hell, robbing banks at all is almost impossible these days unless you can figure out how to do it digitally. And I think that's why watching it now, I'm even more amused by what you <laughs> could get away with back now it's like there's not even any need to break into a physical location and take physical stacks of money. Just find a way to hack into, you know, hack into the the bank's, uh, you know, mainframe and just start moving numbers around. It's so much. It's so much easier in a way. Like not easier, but like lower risk, but in a certain way because you don't have to physically put yourself in that situation. 
It's kind of like an Italian job, you know, you don't even have to fire a weapon. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> another but, one uh, of my favorite movies. <laughs> oh, okay. Again, another criminal movie. This is the see, course. this is a pattern. Yeah. This is a pattern with you. I swear one day I'm going to bring you a movie that has nothing to do with crime. A nice I, movie. I love a nice movie. A nice, a nice. It's movie. a wonderful life or something super no, wholesome. I hate that movie. Ooh, oh, again, we have to talk about it at some point. Okay, that's interesting. Well, that's because of the well trigger warning. It's because of the suicidal ideation in the film. Well, there's that. <laughs> there's that. That's that's fair. That's yeah, fair. You yeah, can't argue. You can't really argue with that. Yeah, personal trauma. Next. <laughs> Understandable. Understandable. So obviously, like we said, when this came out, Bruce Willis was coming off of movies like The Sixth Sense uh, and, uh, like I said, The Whole Nine Yards, things like that. This is one of many movies he's made during his career, but let's talk about Six. Let's talk about Six, baby. Let's talk about flicks and me. Let's talk about what the good films and the bad films are to me. Let's talk about Six. Let's talk about Six. We both ranked the Six, our Six, I guess, favorite ish Bruce Willis movies so Ashley what is your number six pick for number six it's tied between lucky number seven and sin city um and it's because I just loved the the roles he played I mean just, I, don't, I don't even know how else to say it just <laughs> no that's I I I haven't seen lucky number seven in forever I remember liking it but he has a more of a supporting ish role in that doesn't he isn't it as I recall, it's more Josh Hartnett is sort of the lead of that. Josh Hartnett is definitely the lead. Yeah. But I think that just the fact that we know once we come to the end of it, the pivotal or not the pivotal, but the critical role that Bruce, Bruce Willis's character is playing in it and just how he acts in the film. I just I freaking love him in the movie. No, it's it's a real sort of he's not even is he even in it that much? He's sort no. of sparingly <laughs> used, right? Yeah, it's a, no, I know. I'm not saying that in a negative way. Yeah. I'm saying it's a real like less is more sort of performance from him that when he's there, he makes a huge impact on the story. Because his aura is the there yeah. in the whole thing. Yeah. And and he gives off the similar sort of uh, vibes, I think, in this movie, too, in Bandits. Like not not nearly the uh, I think that character is way darker. Again, I haven't seen it in forever, but Wicked he gives darker. off similar. Yeah, he gives off similar sort of. Even when uh, Joe's not on screen in this film, the specter of Joe hangs over every scene with Terry and Kate. Uh, Absolutely. And so I think that that's an interesting thing. And then Sin City, which I will I will is I will get to briefly in a in a second uh, here, in a few seconds here. That's I love that film and I big Robert Rodriguez fan and and it's interesting. Josh Hartnett also in that film at the very beginning with Marley Shelton. Yep. Uh, so there's a connection there. And again, and, and that movie, that whole thing just leans on like film noir and it's just the style in which it's done is so unique. Absolutely. Uh, I, I think but, that that was the period where like everyone was swapping roles. <laughs> everybody was in, everybody was in everyone's movies. Yeah, I might have been. Yeah. That, and that's a, feels. that's a crazy ensemble movie. And I feel like it's one of the first, one of the first instances that I was aware of that people could be in a film together in a scene together even and never meet never cross paths because of the way it was done like there's a whole fight scene in there with mickey rourke and elijah wood they never met those were like stunt people they shot them separately and interspersed it together uh with you know stand-ins and things like that and so Magic that's how that's how robert rodriguez is able to get bruce willis and clive owen and uh r.i.p Brittany clive murphy owen. and Rosario Dawson and Mickey Rourke and all these big stars in one movie because they each came in, did their few days, and then peaced out to go make another movie. Uh, but yeah, no, I love that film. P.S. You brought up Clive Owen. I love Inside Man. Okay, that, that's it's a good it. movie done. too. There another, you go. Another uh, crime movie. So next time, next time we want to schedule an episode, I'll listen to this and I'll be like, oh, there's like eight to choose from, and they're all <laughs> they're all crime movies. They're all uh, crime movies. My number six and the only one I've covered on any of my Crooked Table shows so far uh, is Looper because uh, I think he, again, he's he's a, essentially a supporting role in that. Basically the villain for, for most of, especially the second half where things really go dark. Uh, and it, it's just such a unique twist on 
this sort of time travel concept. I think Ryan Johnson is such a distinctive filmmaker and you see that in Knives Out. You see that even in The Last Jedi for better or worse. I know a lot of people don't love that film. Uh, and I think in this one, it's sort of his version of of a time travel movie and sort of exploring different aspects that maybe people hadn't uh, hadn't captured on screen very much before. And I love Joseph Gordon-Levitt in that movie, kind of basically doing a Bruce Willis impression. Well, what I love about, and it's funny you say that because number five is, is for me is Looper. And um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is just phenomenal in the role. And I love the prosthetics that he wore to look like a young Bruce Willis and the mannerisms he gave off. I mean, you really felt like you were watching Bruce in mm -hmm. those in those moments and and yeah he definitely like even though he's not the star he has a very prominent role and you yeah. feel him through the whole movie and i i just love it like i don't like the way that it ended because again suicidal ideation i have a real issue with that but right. um the fact that he was doing it to save a kid great film loved yeah. loved loved it I, I watched it last night <laughs> again again yeah great movie and yeah. and like we were saying with the casting in Bandits uh, being so key, where where Bruce Willis playing this role, leaning into all of the action thrillers that he'd been in before Bandits, uh, it, it's sort of, Looper sort of leans into, again, the persona, like Bruce Willis himself as a movie star. Uh, and obviously we're recording this, he's already announced his retirement. He's been sort of in direct-to-video mode for a few years just kind of getting those paychecks before he his health sort of worsens and he's can kind of hopefully address some of that and ebb some of the symptoms that he's been dealing with uh you know it, it, he has such a well-established persona and mannerisms and voice and cadence and he's he's a very singular presence on screen and in in you know another movie we'll get to where he played john mcclain uh he he's sort of turned the action hero uh the idea of what a, a hollywood action hero is on its head where we were getting a lot of you know arnold and stallone and van damme all these like muscle bound sort of testosterone uh characters action figures coming in there essentially and john mcclain goes in a very different direction but we'll get to him in a little bit more so uh i had number five sin city so which we already mentioned so, Ashley, what's your number four? My number four is Armageddon. I mean, come on, have to. Um, one of the most like classic roles we can think of with Bruce Willis, and I mean, so good. <laughs> I mean, uh, what can you say that you that that's bad about it? I mean, I don't love Armageddon. <laughs> really? <laughs> that's one thing I'll say about it. I'm not a big Bay fan, gen generally. Okay. Uh, I I think. They're too loud and all over the place and messy. But, and this is where we'll agree, I do think he's great in it. Yeah. Uh, I do think the the character stuff in that movie works. The relationship with him and Liv Tyler as his daughter and Ben Affleck as his, uh, you know, his second in command, essentially. Like, you know, one of the, the, the man, the man that works at the uh, oil drilling plant with him is an employee and his daughter's secret boyfriend. I think all of that works. Like I was on a um, a podcast a friend of mine has called Binge Movies and a couple like last year or whenever, time is relative, Ashley. Like I don't even know what's going on. <laughs> and uh, we did rankings for uh, 1998 and that movie came up. And even though I have so many issues with it, it's still the father-daughter stuff. You know, I have a almost six-year-old daughter at this point. That gets to me. And I think that all that all works because of Bruce Willis's performance. Amen. <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut off your Armageddon thoughts. No, Did you no, have more about it, that? Nope. I'm good. Okay. okay. <laughs> What's your number four? My number four is Death Becomes Her because it rules. Uh, and as we said, Bruce Willis I very playing very much against type as the sort of nebbishy, you know, uh, I guess nebbishy is not the right word, but this put up the put upon husband of Meryl Streep's character. Again, a, a film that sort of weirdly flips the dynamic of bandits in a way where there's two women fighting over a man. Uh, in, but I, instead of in bandits where everyone, male or female or non-binary or whatever, is like, well, yes, I all we all want to be with Kate Blanchett. Uh, the Bruce Willis character here is so like, 
I don't know. He's so he's like worn down and uh, he's got a drinking problem and he's he's a geek. You know, he's yeah. Yeah. He's not. He's the complete antithesis to Joe. He makes Terry look super masculine. Yeah. Um, what are your I, I, I know you had Death Becomes Her a little bit later, but what are your what are your thoughts on Death Becomes Her? I guess we'll just get those out of the way now. Yeah, because that's my number three. Um, Death Becomes See? Her. I, I loved it so much because, you know, one of the things that I love the most about it is the fact that he is also given the option to be immortal and he turns yeah. it down. And something about that, like just that alone is just, first of all, it's so Terry, <laughs> so Terry, <laughs> it but, is. um, but it's just, it's such a good movie because like Goldie Hawn is just amazing in it. Meryl Streep is amazing in it, but the humor that, that Bruce Willis brings to the flick, is just, I mean, God, I think I was like, I don't even remember how young I was, but I remember seeing it and seeing the signs for it in the theaters and, and the, it was, it was back whenever the big pop-up, um, like the, you remember the stands we used to build at AMC of the, yeah. like the big things of promoting movies and whatever. Well, so they had this big cardboard box thing of, of the characters from Death Becomes Her. And there was a cutout inside of Goldie Hawn's stomach. And uh, through her stomach is is Bruce Willis's character holding a candle um, candelabra like mm -hmm. in her stomach because <laughs> you know, this is making fun of the fact that she's been shot in the stomach and <laughs> which, which is which is a real spoiler that they put yeah. that right on the poster and the in the trailer yeah. and everything absolutely but just this big gaping hole in her stomach and and, and you know it's it, but she's immortal so he has to fix it right oh god and talk about a movie that is aged like fine wine with its themes of holding on to youth and sort of the desperation of that and fear of aging and all these other like it's it's it feels more relevant now the sort of satirical points that that movie is trying to make about like yeah no just age, just let yourself age gracefully no one you shouldn't live forever what are look at the implications of that look oh at my these God. the last shot of that movie is haunting Absolutely. it's hilarious but terrifying like jesus one of that, my biggest no, thank fears you. One of my biggest fears is that they're going to do a remake of that. And I, I just I, I feel it coming. And I swear to God, if they put like someone like Addison Ray or the Kardashians in it, I, I'm just I'm going to quit Hollywood forever. <laughs> Talk about not getting the joke, too. If they put the Kardashians in there, or like that's not you're not understanding what this movie's about. If that's what they end up doing. One moment that I wanted to shout out in that film that I love so much is when Meryl Streep is is not dead. She has no pulse, but she's not dead. And he's like, he's like, it's a miracle. And then later on, when Goldie Hawn shows up, he's like, it's another miracle. And Meryl Streep's like, no, it isn't. Oh, I, I, I love that. It's, it's, yeah, it's so much fun in that. Good, good call. I'm it's, glad it's we both have clean fun. <laughs> it's a great movie. Uh, What's your number? Robert Zemeckis. Number three for me, I have Pulp Fiction because got to. It's classic, super influential. Also sort of an out-of-the-box choice for him a little bit, too, because Tarantino was sort of an up-and-coming filmmaker, and uh, he'd only done really Reservoir Dogs before that. And I think Bruce Willis' storyline is one of the more fascinating ones, and I love his character of Butch, a man who's been put in this situation where he's supposed to throw a fight, and he decides not to and goes on the run instead from uh, Marcellus Wallace. And his uh, that whole the whole relationship with him and his girlfriend and the sort of the chaos that him and Marcellus Wallace get into um, was obviously very impactful for all of us, especially, you know, straight male viewers. Uh, it probably hasn't aged well now, thinking, now that I'm thinking about it, the implications of that. But uh, it, it's he's his performance in that, I think, is one of the ones that really stands out. And I also feel like it's one of the most underrated because John Travolta, Oscar nominated, Samuel Jackson, Oscar nominated, Uma Thurman, Oscar nominated. Bruce Willis never gotten an Oscar nomination still. Uh, even though I think a lot of us would be like, well, Death Becomes Her is one of his best performances. Um, I think Pulp Fiction is also right up there. And I think he's a big part of the reason why. I have a confession to make. Oh, no, don't do it. I've what never is it? seen Pulp Fiction. I, I had a feeling. I mean, for obvious reasons. It's culturally, you know, relevant. So I would encourage at least watch it once because you're like, yeah, I saw it. It's fine or whatever. If that's your reaction. Fine. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll add it to the <laughs> list. How long is this list? Because I'm more of a 
of a, a ravenous movie person than most. And even I'm like, I have shameful things that I'm like, yeah, I need to catch up with that and stop watching, you know, Bill and Ted face the music for the 15th time or whatever. Um, but, uh, but yes, as of definitely today, uh, today we're recording this November 9th, 2022. My list is at, um, 89 items. I, you are a content creator. I feel this feels like wait till you get to a hundred, start a blog series of like, I watched this finally get off my back. Here's what I thought. Yeah, I actually, I actually did. Uh, I was trying to do that for a half a second um, back whenever I finally, finally watched Top Gun and finally watched Airplane and finally watched Gremlins and Indiana Jones and all the things. But again, remember, growing up, I was not allowed to watch anything that was beyond PG-13. So a lot of movies that are amazing, I never got to watch. It wasn't until I started working at the theater with Robert that I actually got to watch movies. What were your what were your thoughts on uh, on those real fast gremlins we've covered on Crooked Table podcast uh, airplane has been covered on Close Watch Top Gun and this is being revealed uh, a bit early because I haven't officially announced it Top Gun will be covered on Franchise Detour soon uh, what are your thoughts on those movies Cool I mean okay. I did I really cool. did I, the one that cracked me up the most obviously was Airplane Well but, you know <laughs> amazing yeah. movie amazing one of the funniest movies of all time. What is your number? It's yeah. Airplane is so great. Uh, What is your number two Bruce Willis movie? It's a Christmas movie. It's Die Hard. (laughs) We're gearing up for that for that that season now. Anybody who says it's not a Christmas movie, you're wrong. Um, Because it's come on, it's Christmas. (laughs) It depends what I, I get. First of all, what is a Christmas movie? The criteria for that are undetermined. But it is one set at Christmas. It is it two features Christmas music prominently, including the very end of the film, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And three, part of the storyline is him coming over to try and patch things up with his wife over during Christmas. Which like, is what every Hallmark movie I've ever does. <laughs> right. But what's there's good, just a lot more gun violence in this one. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But what's what's interesting about that movie is because like I was alluding to earlier. John McClane is, you know, is a New York cop, but he's sort of an everyman. He's not like all roided out or anything like he's not like uh, unstoppable. He's not a Rambo or anything like that. He's just a normal dude who, yes, looks like Bruce Willis, but he's a regular cop who gets hurt, who gets bloodied, who, you know, has to, you know, uh, crawl through the ventilation shaft to to get to the terrorists and all this other stuff. I think it's it changed action cinema in a lot of ways and and he grounds it by bringing the same kind of comedic flair that he brings to so many of his other movies that he brought to TV's Moonlighting kids yeah. look that one up um <laughs> who are like Moonlighting what's that um and and puts it into another genre so like you were saying with the Hallmark thing in a way that's accurate because it's like he's coming from another movie and he's like oh crap I'm in an action movie now how do I do that and that's part of the appeal and why that movie has endured so much. That's why it's also my number two choice. Uh, and, you know, the sequels are, uh, come and, you know, they're whatever. I think the third one comes closest. They don't exist. The third one comes closest to this. <laughs> I think the second one never made a huge impact on me. The third one, I think, is, is a better sequel to this movie, To Die Hard, than the second one is. Because the second one is like, well, what if that, but in an airport on a plane instead of, you know. Instead of in a high rise. And the third one is, is more, it takes him in a different environment, pairs him with Sam Jackson, who we already mentioned. Uh, and then four I like, but I don't, won't defend, and five I've never seen. So uh, obviously, yeah, Die Hard, my number two as well. Good, good awesome. call. And RIP well, Alan Rickman. I mean, that was... Oh, I know. He was so freaking good in that role. I mean... Just, he was. Oh, so good. All right, so I got to know. I, I already kind of alluded to it, but um, my number one is The Fifth Element. I could watch that movie every single week and not tire of it. And I just found out yesterday that the ultimate edition of the DVD includes two hours of unseen footage. And I'm dying to get a hold of it now because even though DVDs are so last century, um, (laughs) I want to see these two hours of unseen footage. That's yeah, I have seen the fifth element, so it's not a confession like that. I haven't seen it in a long time. Yeah. And I was like, eh, 
I feel like I was hyped up too much on it because I remember the the commercials back in the day were like the Star Wars of the '90s, and it's not. That's a bad comparison because this that's is a horrible a very, comparison. It's a oh very, it's a very quirky, uh, idiosyncratic movie in a lot of ways. Luke Besson uh, is not a not does not make those same kind of blockbusters as George Lucas, obviously. Uh, and I do like other movies of his. I do. I I just recently got uh, the Blu-ray Blu-ray copy of Leon the Professional, which is an, which is a great movie. Uh, and so I need to give it a rewatch. I need, yeah. I need to, I owe. The I mean, how else are you going to see Chris Tucker in drag? Come on. <laughs> That's true. I have seen that. I have, I do. I love the rush hour movie. So I have actually watched that clip a few times of him in the fifth element doing all, getting all screechy. Cause I oh think that I, I find that, I find that hilarious. Uh, so my number one is unbreakable, which uh, is, oh no. I mean, good for you. <laughs> it's very, it's very divisive, but see, it's interesting. We had a lot of commonalities. We had, I think we we had both had Looper, Sin City, Death Becomes Her, Die Hard. Uh, you had what was the one you had that I I didn't have Armageddon, Armageddon, and I had Pulp Fiction, which you haven't seen, and you had yeah. Armageddon, which I don't care for. And then at the top we have two very specific, different, very different, but very divisive movies. Like if someone sees Unbreakable and they're like, "This is slow, this is boring," yeah, I get it. It it is what it is. It's yeah. a kind of a deconstruction of superhero mythology and like what if this but real um which is a an approach that a lot of movies including franchise detours is right now covering the dark knight trilogy which is like but what if bruce wayne was real how would he be batman i'm like well let's see what that how that would play out i think it's it has a very a very um interesting take on superheroes (laughs) and how they could potentially exist and i think bruce willis is so great in that role Again, a character whose uh, strength is sort of muted and sort of uh, he's more timid for a lot of the film and hesitant. He's a reluctant hero uh, and playing again off of Sam Jackson, which those two on screen together, like they're appearing multiple times on my list. So I guess that says a lot about uh, how I feel about Bruce Willis and Sam Jackson working together. But I actually it's my favorite Shyamalan movie and I've seen most of them. So I definitely I understand if you're not into it, but I don't I know. Maybe I don't give like it. movies. I, it's not that at all. It's just I don't know. Something about that just bothered me. Uh, just didn't really care for that flick. And um, but did you see it in 2000? When was the last time you saw it? Probably in 2000. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we need to do a follow up episode where you watch Unbreakable and I watch Fifth Element, and then we'll be like, we'll see if our perspectives change. <laughs> Maybe bonus content for the for the uh, eventual the page. the eventual Patreon that I have been developing forever uh, yeah. and hope to launch soon. But then I will, you know, listen to this years from now and be like, yeah, I need to get on that. Yeah, um, I actually got to interview um, for one of the podcasts I host for a client. I I got to interview one of the senior uh, partners of Patreon. Oh, and, cool! And so, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm I'm excited to see if if there's any potential for. Patreon for me. <laughs> yeah. See. Well, we'll have to do a separate Patreon uh, brainstorming session off mic, like off yes. recording <laughs> and see what we can what we can pull together. But so that's all I had for bandits. So tell people who haven't seen the movie. And like I said, most people probably haven't seen the movie. Uh, it's not even really streaming anywhere, which is why. Hence the library, uh, the copy of the DVD from my local library. Uh, sell listeners on that on this movie if they you know obviously they've been spoiled on it now but why why should they seek it out what's your what are your what's your sales pitch oh man that's an on the spot thing I wasn't expecting um honestly it's just for the fun of it I mean if if you've ever considered robbing a bank <laughs> if you've ever considered running away joining from a, home joining a throuple <laughs> if you how would that what ha- but I'm in an unhappy marriage. How could I be in a trouble? Watch <laughs> Bandits. I feel like this is now turned into an infomercial for Bandits or but how to wait, how to <laughs> Bandits or how to join a trouble. Oh my oh. god. Um, <laughs> um but yeah. If you're just looking for some good actors in crazy disguises doing crazy crap robbing banks, watch this movie. 
If you're a fan of any of these three performers, I think, too, and you've seen all the Bruce Willis movies that we've just recommended and you haven't seen Bandits, add it to, add it to your 89 movie list of, uh, of things to get to. Um, but yeah, no, that's... It's a lot. There's infinite movies out there, such as the, the gift and the curse of my life, Ashley. Uh, but this has been a blast. I'm so glad we got you back on here. I'm in a real, like, reclamation tour for guests that had been on the show in 2019 and 2020 that now I'm like, I think because we're now two years into COVID world, uh, I'm just like, I should probably reach out to that person. It's been a long time because I feel like, and I feel, I don't know if you feel like this as well. I feel like the last couple of years, really since the last time we talked, have been such a vortex that, you know, like we were saying beforehand, I've moved a couple of times. I've, my wife and I've had a second child. Like, We've I moved 800 miles of, away. <laughs> you did. That's what I'm saying. I moved 800 miles away in the dead of winter, got, coming from Tampa, Florida to Richmond, Kentucky. And that was my first winter. <laughs> and I'm, I'm getting ready for what? I guess my, my second, third. I, I second, third. Know. Yeah. Oh, God. I can't. Even, it's like the number of episodes we've done together. I've lost count. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, but this has been a blast. I'm so glad we were able to, to make this happen. Tell people where they can find you on social media. I'm all over the interwebs at Famous Ashley Grant. Um, and if that's not the handle, it still says Famous Ashley Grant somewhere in the name. And my website's FamousAshleyGrant.com. And you can find all the things about me there. Awesome. Well, not all the things, but most of them. <laughs> most of the, all the things you need to know. All the public things you can find yeah. there. There you go. <laughs> Big thanks to the famous Ashley Grant for coming on to talk about 2001's Bandits. This was a first time watch for me, as I said during the episode, and it was really fun to kind of go back and check out one of these underseen films that probably should have gotten a bigger audience because they definitely stand the test of time in a lot of ways. I think this movie, like we talked about, definitely does. feels ahead of its time in some ways. And Ashley's always been really good about bringing that to my attention. We talked about confidence a couple years ago on on this feed, formerly the Crooked Table podcast. It was fun to go back and check out this movie. But have you seen Bandits? That's what I want to know. You can find me on Twitter, at Crooked Table, the same handle on Instagram, uh, also on Tumblr and on Hive Social. As we're sort of evolving past Twitter, uh, finding other social networks to spread into and trying to diversify that uh, presence a little bit more. So find me on your social media venue platform of choice. And of course, you can always reach me via email at robert at crookedtable.com. For now, that's a wrap on another Crooked Table production. Keep watching, everybody. This has been a production of crookedtable.com. All rights reserved. That's the yard of the little KED.